Hi, I'm Pastor Stefan Margeson. This is the sermon podcast for Aldersgate Worship Service of Front Street United Methodist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. Come and join us each Sunday morning in person at 8.45 a.m. in the Aldersgate Gym. God be with you. Is that on? Yeah. Today's word comes from Matthew's Gospel, the first chapter, verses 1 through 17. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nishan, and Nishan the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abud, and Abud the father of Achim, the father of Elud, and Elud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Metan, and Metan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who bore Jesus, who is called Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning again, Aldersgate. My name is Stefan. For those of you that haven't met me, I think I've met most of you in here before. I wanted to start with this reading. This is uh, a sonnet by Malcolm Geet. Uh, it's entitled On the Edge. Christmas sets the center on the edge, the edge of town, outbuildings of an inn, the fringe of empire far from privilege, and power on the edge and outer spin of turning worlds. A margin of small stars, that edge of galaxy itself, light years from some unguessed at cosmic origin. Christmas sets the center at the edge. And from this day, our world is realigned. A tiny seed unfolding in the womb becomes the source from which all unfold and flower into being. We are healed. The end begins, the tomb becomes a womb. For now, in him, all things are realigned. 
It's a beautiful poem uh, that I hope will inspire you. It kicks us off in this Christmas Advent season very well in many ways, that Christmas sets the center on the edge. We're going to be focusing over the next few weeks on that word I mentioned this morning, incarnation. And the basics of that are this. Incarnation means to become flesh. That God in Jesus Christ would become flesh. That's the basics of the incarnation. But what we're doing with that is, for the next several weeks, we will be getting real with the God who got real. Really. And through that, we'll be dealing with the messiness of what it looks like for Jesus to be human. And the messiness of what that means for us, at least at the beginning of this, with that poem, reminds us that Jesus, born of no expectation, born well outside the expectations of the Israelites, of the people of that time, even to us today, that God himself would become a human and be with us. All of that sets our lives on the edge of where our expectations really are. And so here we are in this Advent season, learning more about that, wrestling with that idea. So that's the moment to capture here. That Advent, that incarnation, that getting real with a God who got real means we're going to be put off center a little bit, and that's okay. That's a good thing, I think, in many cases, for us to be put off center from what our expectations are, because that's where we grow. That's the direction that God is calling us. That's where we'll see headed this morning as we spend time in Scripture. And as we spend time in Scripture this morning, you heard, if you didn't fall asleep through the first paragraph, the lineage of Jesus. Why would I start there? Well, we're going to be going through the first beginnings, the beginnings of each of the four Gospels. And, and today, the lineage of Jesus is found at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. So not just that it's the first Gospel found in the New Testament. You might be thinking, well, I had to get this one out of the way because it's the most boring and mundane of all of them, this lineage of Jesus. Well, in part, you would be right. But no, there's more to that than just a lineage here. There's more to it for us. That's the question I hope you're thinking about. What does this lineage of Jesus have to do with us today? If so much of Scripture, if all of Scripture can be found present and meaningful and alive for us today, then what does this mean? Well, for one, and if this is the only thing you get today, if this is the only thing that you get through incarnation, it will be worth it. It is this, that through this lineage of Jesus, through these generations, 14 by 14 by 14, and even more, some scholars think, some were left out in there, and, and so we're talking 40 plus generations from Abraham all the way to Jesus. This tells us one thing in particular, that Jesus is rooted so strongly not in history, but in humanity. You see how deep Jesus' family tree goes, how tall that family tree is. Jesus' roots are deep within humanity. How much more real could Jesus be than that? That's pretty awesome. And so we hold that with all the truth, and yet we also ask a little more of it. And so, as you think about this family tree, I wonder, do you know your own family tree? How big, if you had a piece of paper, how big of a piece of paper would you need to sketch out your family tree? Do you know a good bit of it? Now, yours may not be quite as tall as Jesus' family tree here. Maybe it's a lot wider. Cousins and, and extras and seconds and third cousins and marriages this way and that that got grafted in. All of these places where your family tree might be big and wide. What shape is your family tree? 
Is it a nice even circle? Is it a little jagged around the edges? It's got one branch that goes out a little farther this way for some reason. No one knows why and no one's going to ask questions. Your family tree, it's unique to you and your family and however that looks, it's unique to where you might be on that family tree even. And in our family trees, I imagine, even though ours are all unique and different, I think that there's probably, for each of us, we have in our family tree that one branch, that one limb, that doesn't seem to be pulling the weight as the rest of them. Immediately when I said that, you thought of your person. That branch that's in there, and it seems like it's sort of connected to the family tree, but it's hanging on by a thread, You're not sure why it's there. It hasn't produced leaves in a while. It feels like it's kind of falling off. You wonder if it's ever just going to fall off or a squirrel's going to rip it off, a dog's going to jump up and grab it. Whatever might happen to that branch in your family tree. And and if it does, you know, we won't be too concerned about it because it wasn't really connected as much as the rest of us. You have that branch in your family tree, that limb, somewhere along the lines, those outer tendrils that seem to feel like they're working on falling away, and we, we do. And it, maybe this is more for me than it is for you, but, but I imagine many of us in this world, many of us, not just in this room, but throughout our world, have been practicing some pretty great topiary skills, pruning our Christmas trees, our, our family trees, rather into the shape of something beautiful like a dog or a dolphin or uh, just a perfectly round circle Uh, We've been listening to the scriptures of Jesus teaching how to prune trees, to cut off the branches that aren't producing fruit, to tear the wheat from the chaff and throw it into the fire. We've been working on that in our family trees. Maybe each Christmas it seems like it gets a little bit smaller. There's one person that's not invited or maybe doesn't get the family Christmas card this year because of their reactions from the year before. Whatever it might be, what has it looked like for you? Again, maybe it's more me than you, and if I'm just preaching to myself this morning, that's okay. I'm good about finding those family members that I haven't talked to in a long time and thinking, that's okay. They can stay there. And, no, I think we all kind of fall into those spaces where it's difficult at least, at least difficult to talk to those family members that are harder to talk to. Well, maybe it's around politics, maybe it's around uh, viewpoints, maybe it's just they have stories that they tell over and over and over and over and over again. You've heard it each Christmas, it comes up and you wonder, it's never changed. At least make the fish a little bit bigger next time, right? At least. But what happens when we start to prune our trees like that? Because if we're listening to Jesus and Jesus is telling us to cut off branches that aren't producing good fruit, to throw the chaff into the fire and to move on with our lives, well, that might be a pretty good thing if we're actually talking about trees. But we're talking about people, really. When we're going through this little nuanced sayings of family trees, we're talking about people. People are the branches. And do you know what happens when you cut off a person from the family and let them fall to the ground? They don't just decompose and provide nourishment for the earth underneath them. No, they are living. They are still here. They are still acting in the world. They are still present in other people's lives, at least if not our own. People are not branches. And so when we cut them off and let them go to the wayside, you know what happens? Well, there they are. 
withering but not dying, separated from the earth but not giving to it, separated from us but yet still in our sight, wanting to be a part of us and yet not finding a way to connect. And there's a a phrase in psychology that's passed around over the last number of years. It's this, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And, And for us, even if it's in small ways, even if it's as simple as not sending out that Christmas card to that family member you're just not sure needs to get it this year, that little bit of angst, well, that matters. Now, I'm not advocating, hear me, I'm not advocating to be in relationships with those people that are unhealthy, that are harmful, that are hurtful to you. That's not what I'm saying. And yet also, we should have some understanding of what it looks like to keep people together. Because if if we're aware of it, if we're thinking about it, if we're paying attention out into the world, we see those branches that have been cut off all over the place. We see them downtown Burlington here with the homeless that are walking around with only each other, only other broken, cut-off branches to lean on, no family to call on. If we go to Brookwood, we see elderly who have been put there by their families because it's easier for them, and, and they're left there withering away, fading into the distance without anyone to see or talk to. By the way, I'm so thankful for Leslie and her work. We see in our news stories of people, men and women, who go to grocery stores and churches and schools and malls with guns because the only form of connection that they find is in hurt people, hurt people. These are the spaces of what it looks like, really, when when we cut off branches when we try to build this family tree that's impeccable, beautifully shaped, something that you could place in your home and decorate with lights and the such. But our family trees, they're a little bit more wild than that. And I I think there's at least some level of connection that we should have with that. I think there's at least some calling that we should have in order to bring in those. And, And I think that there's some callings that come from this scripture story. And I'm calling it a story because it does tell a story, this lineage of Jesus that walks back from Jesus all the way through Abraham. It's a bit of a mixed match story. You see that stock that goes up, that tall tree that Jesus has, it's not a straight tree. It's jagged, it's crooked, it's got burls and winds and bends all over the place. If you go back, you can spend some time with the scholars and learn that some of those family members, well, they weren't really family members. They were uncles or aunts or just friends that got grafted in at some points. There's men and women in there. There's hurt and broken people. There's murderers and adulterers. There's sinners and saints. There's people who lived by promise and there's people who lived by their own authority in life. There is a mess of people in Jesus's family tree. And when I say mess, I don't mean a lot. I mean they were a mess. And the story that's being told here of the God who before Jesus became a human, before that happens, that God would graft in all of these people into Jesus's family tree tells us not just of the past of Jesus, but of where Jesus is going. That in that family tree that's being built, in that family tree that includes all people, it really does include all people, doesn't it? 
that family tree going forward, Jesus is looking to graft in all people to it. You and me, sinners and saints, the hurt and the healed, every single person is being hoped to graft into Jesus' family tree. And so too maybe for us. And our smaller family trees, the, the questions we might ask, they come up, what does it look like then for us to do some of that work? At the forefront, it means trying not to, as best we can, chop off any of those branches that we feel aren't pulling their weight in this family tree. But maybe the further step, maybe the far off step would be, what does it look like for us to graft in one of those homeless or elderly or those hurt people in the world into our family tree? Though they may be cut off from their own, they can find space with us. And maybe it looks like simply a phone call later today to that one family member, that one person or friend that you haven't talked to in a while for good reason, and yet could still use a word of kindness. Maybe in this family tree, it looks like, at the very least, some self-forgiveness. Richard Hayes tells us that the, the root, the key to the gospel of Matthew is found in forgiveness. And gosh, if forgiveness isn't part of the incarnation, I don't know what is. Uh, friends, this is at least part of the work that we are called to as we go forth into this Advent season. It is to look at our family trees and to graft in as best we can those on the outskirts, those on the edge of our lives, those on the edge of what we consider center, even though it may not look pretty, yet still it can be a beautiful thing. And I'll tell you, I, I try my best to write sermons in that capture these pictures of what Scripture is telling us, but, you know, I have nothing on what God does in the world. And so after this, this not sermon, I stay for a song or communion, but, but after this service, I'm going to invite you to do one thing. I'm going to invite you to go outside here next to our playground, and you'll see two big oak trees. And, and one of them, the one closest to, to the playground, I want you to go out there and I want you to look up. And what you'll see is that all of its branches are pretty much bare at this point. There's no leaves left, except for somewhere towards the top, a little left of center. It's off a little bit. There's a patch of green. And none of them are oak leaves. If you look up, you'll see this patch of green, none of them oak leaves. It's mistletoe. There was a bird with a sticky beak that planted a seed right there, grafted into that tree, and now that the leaves have fallen off it, we can see that shining example of what it looks like for God to graft in people from the outside. The beauty that is still held within is that work is accomplished. This is not something that I wrote. This is something that I saw. This is what God's already doing in the world in a tree right outside our building, and it's something that we can happen in our lives, yet still, we can be a part of that, little mistletoes in our family tree that caused beauty that we yet don't even know. This is what it looks like to graft others into our family. You see the beauty. Do You see how this lineage of Jesus points to something grand, something great, something a little off-center, and yet writes the whole world. Wow. 
and continue to invite you to be a part of our Advent season as we move forward and invite others to come and be a part of it. Maybe the call is for this next week to graft somebody into this service or into our church life, maybe just inviting them down. Uh, there's plenty of calls for you to consider today. And the one out there in that tree, I'll invite you to think about who is the person in your life? Who is that person that you walk by that might be your mistletoe? So I leave you with these. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.